0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with HowStuffWorks and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. I like to throw off super producer Tari because she likes to lip sync while I do this. And if I do it at different cadences and rhythms, she can't follow along. But that's not really important right now. What's important right now is that we are going to look at another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Yes, this episode aired originally on March 19th, 2012. And it's about an even older technology, the U-2 spy plane. Yes, we're talking about the spy plane, not the band. Although the band did teach me the valuable lesson that you count like this, one, two, three, fourteen. 14 anyway this is tech stuff spies on the u2 and I hope you enjoy
1: we were um we were going to talk today about uh a, an interesting thing that I saw yeah uh, the other day uh, which is um, well in a way it's sort of a drone because it, it starts with a uh, the rq4 global Hawk yes a, a drone aircraft that is um, Well, its status is sort of in question right now. As of the time we're recording this, they're uh, negotiating the budget for uh, the United, you know, uh, the defense budget for the United States of America. Yeah, Um, and uh, that's one of the items that was considered to be struck. Now, of course, um, over the past few years, unmanned aerial vehicles have been. Uh, coming up a lot in the news. They've been uh, instrumental in several
0: of the uh, the military uh, engagements around the world with the United States. I mean, the mm-hmm. U.S. Has, has employed unmanned aerial vehicles in lots of
1: cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the proposal was that there would be $342 million budgeted um, to, uh, to work on the Global Hawk. And um, as it turns out, It's been proposed that uh, they drop the item entirely in favor of a much more, uh, much more less cutting edge technology. In a way, and the reason,
0: one of the reasons to talk about cutting this whole Global Hawk thing is because uh, it's expensive. Yeah, the estimated cost of a single Global Hawk is 176 million dollars. That's expensive. So they had they had enough. uh, They had just. They didn't even quite have enough money in the budget for two of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could get one and seven-eighths of a Global Hawk for the budget they had proposed. Mm-hmm. So the, the alternative right now for a – and the, the purpose of the Global Hawk, we should say, it's, is a, it's a reconnaissance aircraft.
1: Yes, it, it doesn't uh, attack people. It is, it is there for surveillance purposes. Yes, yeah,
0: specifically spying. Yes. So you know there are a lot of unmanned aerial vehicles that have been developed over the last several years. Many of them are designed to get a real time uh, uh, feel of what's going on in certain environments, and they uh, they're designed to do things like fly through areas that could be combat zones, but they're not. Necessarily designed to spy to be you know, able to to fly through undetected it 's more about getting as quick and accurate a picture of the situation as it exists right now rather than let 's go find out what those pesky so and sos over there are doing
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: so our pesky so and so technology. Uh, tends to be much more sneaky. It, it's designed to be very fast. Usually it's designed to fly very, very high uh, so that it can try to avoid things like radar as well as missiles, you know, attempts to take it down. Uh, and it's designed to try and gather as much information as quickly as possible. Uh, and since the 1950s, that technology has been one particular type of aircraft in the United States. Uh, even though we've tried to replace it on multiple occasions, we're still using it today. And the, it's what we will
1: be using instead of the Global Hawk, the Lockheed U-2. Yes. Believe it or not, um, they're saying that the, the U-2 is actually a better piece of technology uh, in, in some ways than the, uh, the newer unmanned aerial vehicle.
0: And like I said, the replacement for the U2 has, has, was built mm-hmm. and was retired already. Which was the SR-71 Blackbird, but we'll get yes. into that. Oh, I love the SR-71 uh, It's a Blackbird. gorgeous design, right? Yep. So the, yeah, the Blackbird, which was designed to be the replacement for the U-2, <laughs> it actually lived out its useful life in the U.S. Air Force and then was retired because, uh, well, it was really expensive to maintain as mm-hmm. well. In fact, well, and I'll talk about why it was expensive to maintain because that's kind of an interesting story. But to, to understand the U-2, we have to go back quite a bit, and we're not going to use the Wayback Machine because uh, I found out that uh, Stuff You Should Know used it about a week and a half ago, and apparently they left it somewhere. Like, oh, they actually wait. hoofed it back from 1347, and I have no idea what they were doing back then. But, uh, yeah, so
1: I have no idea. We have to track it down. So we're just going to have to talk about it today. All right, then. But, well, um, So mm-hmm. then you would probably go back in time, if we were using the machine, Yes. to... Uh, About, uh, well, August 1955 is the first day it ever flew.
0: Yes, August 1st, 1955. It's the first flight of the U-2. Now, the whole purpose for developing the U-2 stems out of the Cold War between the United States and the then USSR. Yes. Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Um, So the whole reason for it was that we needed to have, we being the United States, because from the U.S., the United States needed to have some sort of vehicle to get an idea of what was going on in a potential uh, um, wartime enemy. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cold War was uh, was called the Cold War because it wasn't like there were uh, actual physical outbreaks of violence between the two countries, but it was a true rivalry of global proportions going on between the two.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so we, there were needs. Each each country felt the need to find out as much about what was going on in the other country as possible, and so they were developing their own ways of
1: spying on each other. Mm-hmm. Of course, this also uh, figured into the space race. Um, we've talked about the thing what beeped.
0: Yes, Sputnik.
1: Uh, the, the Sputnik that they sent up uh, from the Soviet Union um, shortly after that period. Uh, but it was around the same time they were looking for ways to spy on each other. Yeah. Uh, of course, satellite technology technology entered into it but uh, the u2 predates uh Satellite. that because and, and i mean it was already flying by by that point
0: yeah so uh, this is during the eisenhower administration in the mm-hmm. united states history mm-hmm. and uh, and so there were several the the government the united states government actually invited several different companies to submit proposals for a spy plane mm-hmm. that's pretty typical right and the the company that won out was lockheed mhm And uh, there was a a fellow by the name of Clarence Kelly Johnson Mm -hmm. who was put in charge of the development of this spy plane. Uh, Johnson also was instrumental in creating the, the facility that was the testing grounds for this particular airplane. And that facility has gone on to gain incredible notoriety.
1: Yes, partially because it was very innovative and partially because it just has a very cool name.
0: And it was very, very, very secret about everything. And that cool name, at least that's the the popular name for it, mm-hmm. is Area 51. Yes. So if you always wondered what Area 51 was about and you've heard about things like UFOs and aliens. UFOs. What it really was about was a testing ground for secret aircraft. And the U-2 was very much a secret aircraft. The United States did not... Really talk about what the U2 was for until they were forced to, and we'll get into that story too, cause that's pretty dramatic. Yeah. yeah. But, but before we get into that, let's talk more about what the U2 actually was, and, uh, uh, oh, and in case you're just wondering, Area 51, also popularly known as Groom Lake, cause it's a, a dry lake bed was mm-hmm. where it was built on. And, uh, I think in the future, we're going to have to do a podcast all about Area 51 because it was such a cool place. Mm-hmm. It's not really a, not really a thing anymore. Yeah, but um, it was definitely a neat idea, and some really cool
1: technology was developed there.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway, getting back to the U two.
1: Yep, it's got a uh, now. Um, this this sucker can fly at uh, at altitudes of more than seventy thousand feet twenty one thousand meters. Yes, um, that's pretty high up yeah to no, say the very least that's
0: when you think about commercial jetliners are tend to be between 30 and thirty-five thousand feet sometimes a little higher um, you know that's more than twice as high up and uh it was built it was built with a really really long wings almost like a glider
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and a very light airframe
1: yeah as the, well uh, the i'm sorry no, go ahead. Uh, the wingspan of the U2 is about 105 feet, or, you know, 32 meters or so. Uh, the length is 63 feet, or about 19.2 meters, and height uh, 16 feet, about 4.8 meters. It only weighs 16,000 pounds, uh, which, when you think about it, is pretty light. That's pretty remarkable, yeah. It's got one General Electric F118 101 engine.
0: Yeah, Uh, although there were other engines used in the U-2 during its entire history. Uh, there uh, there There's a a J57 turbojet engine, the Mm J75 turbojet engine, and then the General Electric F118 turbofan engine. Uh, They have all been used in U-2s throughout its history of its service in the United States. Mm -hmm. Also, oh, before we get too much further into the technical details, one other interesting element – Originally, this was pitched to the Air Force. Mm -hmm. The Air Force decided it did not, the the, the Air Force decided not to fund it. Mm -hmm. The funding came from the CIA. Yeah. So the Central Intelligence Agency is actually responsible for the development of the Mm U-2. And uh, in fact, the pilots of those early U-2s were all CIA pilots. Mm -hmm. Because the idea was that if you had a, Uh, a plane go down and the pilot of that plane was a member of the United States military, it could look like a military action against another country. Mm -hmm. Because you were a pilot for the CIA, you had to be a civilian. So you actually would go through and and quit – a, mil- a branch of the military service. You would no mm-hmm. longer be a part of the Air Force. You would become a civilian and be employed by the CIA, and that would give you the deniability that it was a military action against another country.
1: Right. Sneaky. Well, of course. Um, also, sneaky, if you're wondering how much these aircraft cost, they won't tell you no. that information is classified. There's actually a lot
0: of information classified about the U-2. Like We can't tell you specifically all the different sensors that are onboard a U-2. We can tell you that it does have a camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, it has multiple cameras in order to to get a visual representation of what it's flying over. It also has sensors that can detect the quality of the air and and perhaps even sniff out things like uh, chemicals that would be indicative of a nuclear facility in Mm -hmm. the area. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got Supposedly, it has sensors that can allow it to even eavesdrop on cell phone conversations. Interesting. And there's also a data link that allows it to upload information in real time to mm. a uh, remote location.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's got a. It has infrared cameras and an optical bar camera, um, and uh, it does have a uh, you know uh, advanced radar capabilities as well. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly able to pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the world around it. Um, even from the altitudes that it can reach, uh, It does have a crew of one. We know that much.
0: Yeah, it's it's designed to be a one-person uh, aircraft. I have heard that there are a few examples of two-man U-2s, but they are specifically
1: built for training purposes. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm.
0: are not they're not actually used
1: in service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does it can reach a speed of about four hundred ten miles per hour. It's not uh, you know we're not talking about uh, breaking the speed of sound. No. Um, which is unlike the SR seventy one.
0: Yes, which that was one of the reasons why the SR seventy one was developed was they wanted the government wanted something that was even faster and could fly even higher mm-hmm. than the U two, and the SR seventy one could do both those things. It could mm-hmm. fly at a, a altitude of around ninety thousand feet, and it could fly very fast indeed. Yes,
1: which works for the X men. Yes, sort of. Yeah, um, and more uh, often than not. <laughs> and if you're wondering, uh, there are about thirty three of them. They yes. are still active. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, despite uh, as as Jonathan said earlier, despite attempts to phase them out as uh, older, outmoded technology, they're just too good at what they do. Yeah. Well, it turns out the other stuff that was built to replace
0: them wasn't good enough and mm-hmm. was more expensive. So, while you had aircraft that could fly faster and higher, uh, the one of the big drawbacks of the Blackbird was that it did not have a data link. Mm-hmm. So when you sent a Blackbird out on a mission... In the dead of night? You had to wait for it to come back and dump all that information for you to be able to look at it. You couldn't get updates as the mission was going on, at least not of all the data that it was collecting. You know, the pilot could communicate, presumably. Yeah. Uh, but, Smartphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's an
1: app for that. <laughs> but uh, Flying over foreign power, LOL. <laughs> nice. R-O-T-F-L. <laughs>
0: uh, the, uh, the only... Uh, there are some other interesting things about the U two. Uh, it's landing gear. Mm-hmm. It has, you know, most most aircraft that we think of today has have the uh, landing gear where there's the the one set of wheels up front and then the two set of wheels in the back. So it's almost like a tricycle. Mm-hmm. You know, U uh, two does not have that. It has uh, more like a bicycle setup. It's got one the the front set of wheels and back set of wheels are in line with one another. Mm-hmm. Now it does have uh, wheels called pogo's. That are attached to the wings for takeoff, mm-hmm. so uh, to give it stability when you're taking off uh, with a U2. But then once you take off, you jettison those wheels; they're gone. And you only, when you're coming into land, you only have those two sets of wheels. So you're thinking, how can you maintain balance? Well, the uh, the wings have skids on them to protect the wings. It's apparently really, really hard to <laughs> fly a U2. And and more so, not just because of the landing thing. Although landing apparently is one of the most difficult maneuvers you can do with the U two, because uh, the wings are so wide, uh, the, the a little crosswind can very much affect the U two. It can start gliding off track, and uh, it's it's really hard to correct for that. Another issue is that it's designed to fly at a very high altitude.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, at that altitude, the atmosphere is not as thick. It's a thinner atmosphere. Well, in order to give precise controls at that altitude, the controls are extremely responsive Mm -hmm. when you are flying through a very thin atmosphere. So just a a tiny little adjustment by the pilot is going to uh, result in a a pretty dramatic uh, change in the the plane's behavior. Mm -hmm. All right? When you start going down, You start descending and the atmosphere is starting to get thicker. Suddenly, those controls aren't as responsive. Mm -hmm. And you have to do more to get the plane to do what you want it to do. So as you're descending from that height where you're actually spying and everything and you're coming down, uh, the plane becomes less responsive and the pilot has to use a lot more force. To get the plane to do what he wants it or she wants it to do mm-hmm. and um, and so it, it is supposed to be or supposedly one of the most difficult aircraft to master because the two sets of flying uh, uh, scenarios are so different.
1: As if that weren't enough because of the way the plane is configured, it's kind of hard to see out of. Yeah. Um, the, the nose is very long. Yep. And it's difficult to see, uh, out the back because of the, the, uh, tail. So, uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, Jonathan, I, I've actually seen information that suggests that many pilots call it the most difficult plane in the world to fly. Yeah, and and that actually requires in some instances actually requires a second set of eyes. Somebody else will go up after the U two to uh, to help it get down. Yes. Um, somebody who's sort of, if you will, it's sort of a, a visual spotter. They go, oh, you know, uh, There's, you're, yeah, sometimes you're lined
0: up. Sometimes it's a person in a souped-up car. That's a, a, really? second, a second U-2 pilot who is uh, oh. being driven on, in a souped-up car going alongside the, the plane as it's coming down and giving verbal – Directions to the pilot, so that the pilot has an indication of of how far they are from the surface and whether they need to make any adjustments. Yeah. So they'll be in a car
1: traveling at a pretty good clip of speed. Okay. See, I, that was my uh, that was my assumption because it said in my notes say high performance vehicle and it didn't say what kind of vehicle. Yeah,
0: it was. yeah, it was a high performance car. So okay, it's the Bluesmobile actually. The Bluesmobile. Is what it is. And then they just ch- they have that that megaphone on top and they're like. All right. Here's what you got to do. You got to go down two feet. Two feet. Hey, guys. It's Jonathan from 2019 here to take a quick break from spying to thank our sponsor. Some other interesting things about the U-2. Another (laughs) reason why it's so hard to fly is that it has to almost always be flying – near the maximum speed of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because if it starts to get down below about 19 kilometers per hour below maximum speed, which is 10 knots, Mm -hmm. when it starts to drop below 10 knots from its maximum speed at whatever altitude it's at, it starts to stall. So in other words, there's a really narrow window of performance that the plane can operate at, where it's not falling out of the sky. Mm-hmm. It has to be going almost full speed, or else it's dropping like a rock. And uh, the pilots have a, uh, a a special name for that that little window. You were uh, that little narrow window of uh, of speed. Mm-hmm. Can you? Do you have you? Did you come across that? No, I did
1: not. It's it's a
0: charming name. It is the coffin corner.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: So yeah, it's um, yeah. Pilots pilots have a, a interesting set of, um, of of terms for various things. They have a yes. they have a very dry and uh, realistic view of the world. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, interesting design. So why. Well, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, well, the design has changed over the years yes, somewhat. Yes. I mean, they've they've made some adaptations for it. It was originally based on the F one hundred and four fighter jet, but um, you know, it has they, they actually the version that they fly now is somewhat longer and has uh, they've they've upgraded the uh, the avionics systems in the past. They didn't originally use digital uh, systems; they were right. using. Um, analog gauges, uh, but they've, they've updated all those things now. And so it's a, it's a much more, um, I mean, of course, the plane itself is based on the original design. It's just, uh, it's been adapted and updated as, as necessary over the years have, uh, have gone by. So, And for the first several years of mm-hmm. the U-2's existence, <clears throat>
0: the government, of course, did not admit that it had this spy plane. They, they said that the U-2, that, you know, people knew that the U-2 existed. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know what it was for. And uh, the, the reason given mostly was that it was a, a vehicle used to uh, examine the weather patterns and weather conditions. Mm-hmm. And it was all about gathering information about the environment, that it wasn't anything about spy plane. Well, that all changed on May 1st, 1960. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That is when uh, a pilot, a CIA pilot named Gary Powers was operating a U-2 and crashed in Soviet territory. Mm -hmm. Now the cause of the crash is, has always been disputed. Right. Right? There there are some reports that say that what happened was he was shot down. uh, That it was hit, the the plane was was hit by a Soviet missile and it caused the plane to crash. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were other reports that said that the U-2 passed through the slipstream of another vehicle, another plane, and that uh, it caused the U-2 to uh, go out of control and a, a wing ripped off of it and it crashed because of that. There's another report that said missiles were fired at the U-2, but uh, it exploded behind the plane and mm-hmm. the that the explosion was enough to send it out of control. Uh, what is known is that there was – unfortunately, there was another pilot, a Soviet pilot who was uh, flying a MiG who actually did get hit mm-hmm. by the missiles that were meant for the U-2 plane and died as a result. Well, Gary Powers was shot down, but he survived. However, he was um, he was used in a, a little bit of subterfuge on top of the subterfuge he was already a part of because the premier of the Soviet Union, uh, Khrushchev mm-hmm. – didn't let the United States know that powers survived the crash. Instead, what Khrushchev did was he said, "Uh, the United States had a spy plane over my country and we shot it down and you got some explaining to do. Chris is banging the table with his shoe. So if you don't know what that's about, look up Khrushchev and shoe. <laughs> but yes, so Khrushchev Chris was a little perturbed yes, that he was. there was a spy plane over – Well, the It United, was an aggressive act. Yes. Went, and how can you disagree with that? I mean it was a spy plane. Yeah, okay. You know, like, yeah, so did the United States say, yeah, okay, no. Because again, the U.S., not aware that Powers was alive, went into the cover story that they had created – for this sort of scenario assuming that powers had died the eisenhower administration said that the plane was just a weather research aircraft it had accidentally moved into soviet airspace it was not meant to be there the pilot had actually radioed that there was some problems with the equipment aboard the plane that was uh, spe- specifically the oxygen equipment because when you're flying at that height you need to have special equipment to pressurize yes. the cabin, and mm-hmm. in fact the the pilots of yep. the u two wear something that 's almost like a spacesuit, yes, because of the you know, otherwise you could have some real pressurization problems, so they said no no, no it 's just a weather aircraft uh, it was, There were some problems that we heard about they were supposed to be over Turkey, uh, it was completely just a misunderstanding. And that, uh, that the plane that was shot down is probably the weather plane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely not a spy plane. Yeah. And then Khrushchev said, the pilot's alive. <laughs> and we recovered all the information aboard the plane. It was actually in, in good condition. So we know exactly what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And we know exactly what the purpose of this, this vehicle was. And you are a big
1: fibbing fibber. Yes. They, uh, they said that he was okay in Moscow, um, and he had said he, he They said that he told them that he had taken off from uh, Peshawar in Pakistan, mm-hmm. um, and he was told to fly over the Soviet Union, um, basically over the uh, Aral Sea, over Sverdlovsk, Kirov, Arkang I can't pronounce that word Arkhangelsk, and Murmansk to the uh, Bodo military airfield in Norway. Yeah. And so they he, he told them he they said he told them the exact route he was supposed to fly. Um and of course, you know, the the United States after that was still saying, well, that, that really wasn't uh wasn't what was going on there. Yeah. But, and, uh, and, it was just very hard to, to deny when they had so right. much. And
0: evidence. there was and there was a, a supposed to be a a a, a summit that mm-hmm. was going to be going on like I think a week or two after this happened, yes. and it caused quite a stir in international politics. Yeah. Uh, that this and it was it was considered to be a very huge humiliating embarrassment for the United States.
1: And well, uh, Khrushchev uh, demanded that the United States stop flying over the the Soviet Union, or you know they'd leave. Yeah. Do I need to take my shoe off again? No, I put it back on. No,
0: no, and uh, ultimately the international community ended up siding more with the United States than with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, other outcomes of this, uh, Powers was um, was tried and convicted mm-hmm. in the Soviet
1: Union in August that year.
0: He was sentenced to several years of prison, followed by I think seven years of hard labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he ended up getting released. As part of an exchange, a prisoner exchange.
1: Yes, for uh, Rudolf Abel.
0: Yeah, and that w- that took place... All right, kids, you might not know this, but when I was a kid, there were two Germanys. <laughs> there's an East Germany and there was a West Germany. No, no. And the exchange actually took place uh, uh, on a bridge between the borders of East Berlin and West Berlin. And uh, it was a very famous event. So uh, now there's no longer an East Germany and a West Germany, but back when I was a kid, there was. And that, this is what... You know, this took place at that location because the there was a Soviet-controlled part and there was the German-controlled part. Uh, all that is in the past now. Mm-hmm. Ask um, your
1: parents about the Berlin Wall, kids. <laughs> well, there um, there were no really. I don't recall any other major famous incidents in which a U2 was involved. Um, uh, there was uh, the the tour. The Zeropa tour. Yes, and I was wondering how long I could
0: go without making a U2 joke, and the, mm. the answer was 27 minutes. We'll get right back to the discussion about the U2 spy plane and what that was all about in just a moment, but first let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor.
1: NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, has used the ER2, which yeah. is a, basically a, a modified U2, uh, to collect information on um, the uh, on, on space phenomena and, mm-hmm. and on the Earth itself. So, yes, in fact, it does make a pretty good uh, you know weather and and. Uh, observation plane for other purposes than just spying.
0: Yeah, but, but still uh, being used as a as a spy plane. Oh, um, yeah. according to I w- just thought it was kind of funny
1: that, yeah, yeah. It, you know, the denials and then, you know, oh, well, as, as it turns out, you can use it for that.
0: So I found out some more information about, I, I, and I was going to say, talk about the Blackbird and about how um, oh, yeah. it was supposed to be. That was also developed at Area 51. It was mm-hmm. originally called the A-12. That was its designation. Then eventually was known as the SR-71 Blackbird. Um, it was the successor to the U-2, mm-hmm. but was retired it, and it had a useful life of uh, between 1964 and 1998. 1998 was when it was retired for the second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of like a professional wrestler—you know, retires and then comes back and then retires again. Uh, but in this case, it only retired the two times. And there's no real way of making more of them because they destroyed the tooling machinery back in the 60s -hmm. when they built the Blackbird. The idea being that they didn't want it to fall into any other hands, and so this was a way of maintaining secrecy. The downside of that is that once you run out of Blackbirds, you don't have any more of them. Uh, There's no way to make more. Um, And so uh, they actually had a lot of issues with that. And there were several Blackbirds that were involved in various accidents Mm -hmm. and incidents that made them – uh either they either were destroyed as a result or they were inoperable mm-hmm. uh so they now all exist pretty much in museums. Mm-hmm. I think there might be one or two that um, belong to NASA, actually. But uh, there aren't any that are being used in military service. So the Air Force has stopped using the Blackbird. Well, you know, that was supposed to be the successor to the U-2. But they, again, stopped being used in 98. The U-2 kept going. Uh, since 1994, according to the Air Force, about $1.7 billion with a B with ab dollars have been poured into the U2 program to keep it up to date, mm-hmm. to to modernize it, make sure that it's you know operating at uh, at a, a level that that modern warfare and modern politics demands. Because you know we've gotten a lot more sophisticated with the ways that we uh, detect stuff. So in order to stay ahead, it had to, a lot more money had to be poured into it. Mm-hmm. And according to one source I saw, since 2003. The Air Force has flown more than ninety-five thousand hours using the U-2. But keep in mind, there are only thirty-three of these things. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive.
1: Yep, yep. Well, the uh, in case you're wondering, the RQ-4 uh, may not be off the table. Um, it is uh, presumed that Northrop Grumman, the uh, company that makes, well, the primary company that makes it, uh, will. Try to get it put back into the uh, into the budget,
0: and it may just be that it's a delay more than anything else. In fact, most of the sources I saw was that it, it it's, it's that the date keeps getting pushed back. Like yeah. uh, originally the uh, the U two was supposed to be retired by twenty twelve. Yeah. Well, now yeah. it is twenty twelve.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the most recent date I saw was twenty fifteen.
0: Yeah, and then I saw one that said it may be flying as late as twenty fifty, which means it would be a hundred years old almost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh it takes three people to fly an RQ four. You know, you have to have a, a an L R E pilot, an M C E pilot, and a sensor operator. And it only flies up to sixty thousand feet, which is about eighteen thousand two hundred eighty eight meters. Um it, it uh ma- has a maximum speed of three hundred fifty seven miles per hour, about three hundred ten knots. Um so you know it's it's comparable in some ways, but in others, you know, the U two still outdoes it. So Yep. Um it's it's impressive stuff but uh it's kind of funny to me that uh the tried and true u two is still hanging in there, you yeah. know, despite all these other things that that could replace it,
0: yeah, and part of that is the the qualities of the u two and part of that is is purely economical mm-hmm. sure. just that you know there's just not the money to replace it. And that, uh, you know, we do have a need for reconnaissance vehicles. And you might ask, well, why do we need that? Because we've got satellites now, right? True. We've got satellites that can spy on stuff. And that's true. We do have satellites. But satellites are not – yeah, stuff that beats. Satellites are not capable of of, uh, focusing in on a very specific region – at a reasonable amount of time in many cases. Mm-hmm. So it may be that you've got a great view of this one region. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the, the issue that you need to look at is just outside of that, that view. And in order to change the view on the satellite, it's going to take hours. Yeah. Whereas you could send a U-2 plane stationed in a nearby country to fly over and get a look right then and there. Yeah. And the way the world works, we need information instantly. We can't wait anymore, so.
1: Yeah, for, for instance, they might have uh, intelligence that a specific operation is going on right now, and they're going to hide whatever it is that they're moving, you know, some, some kind of uh, weapons technology or some, you know, uh, something like that, or a, or a uh, caravan of people or something. You know, it could be a variety of things that you'd yeah. want to see, um, and then by the time the Earth rotates back to where the satellite could take a, a good picture of it, it'll be too late. yeah. Um. So that kind of thing.
0: Yep. Yep. Spy stuff is cool. Yeah. And
1: scary. Yes, it is. But yeah. um. Oh, but and it did uh, play a major part in the uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, in it the nineteen sixties, was did. able to uh, get a, a good picture of what was going on there uh, between the Soviets and the Cubans. Yep. Um, do you? And you
0: know, we didn't mention it, but do you know what the nickname is for the U two?
1: Oh, uh, I did see it a moment ago, and then I scrolled past it in my notes. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't mention it already. It is the Dragon Lady. Yes, you don't you don't hear it uh, mentioned. The U two is well known enough by its by its normal designation that you don't really hear the nickname very often, like you do yeah. with the SR seventy one Blackbird. Yeah for example. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's a cool name.
0: Cool name. All right. Well, this wraps up this discussion about the U-2. Like I said, we'll try and do one about Area 51 specifically at some point. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about the other vehicles and technologies that came out of that research facility uh, and also talk about why it was so secret and, uh, you know, the whole craziness that surrounds Area 51 and and how it plays a part in conspiracy theories because, you know. It does? <laughs> You might not have heard about it. Um, you need to watch this documentary series called The X-Files. It goes all into it. But no, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll uh, give a full rundown on, you know, what was believed to happen at Area 51 versus what really happened at Area 51. And when I say really, there were no aliens involved. I really hope that you guys enjoyed that classic episode about you two because I can't live with or without you. I know, that's a terrible reference to a U2 song. No, seriously, the U2 spy plane is one of my favorite topics that we've covered on Tech Stuff, largely because it ties into another topic I loved a lot, which is uh, Area 51. But I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, why not write me? The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can pop on over to our website that's techstuffpodcast.com you'll find different ways to contact us as well as the archive of all the old shows and don't forget to head on over to our store that's tpublic.com techstuff we got lots of cool designs over there for all sorts of stuff from t-shirts to tote bags to stickers and lots of other things too every purchase you make goes to help the show we greatly appreciate it and I'll talk to you again really soon